We've been looking at this sermon series dealing with No Longer I, and today I would like for us to dive a little bit deeper into it. It would be the step number two on how do I live a life of No Longer I. Uh, far too often, churches and preachers just seem to want to impart knowledge and not application. You know, I believe that we all know that's our desire, that we'd love to live a life that would glorify Christ, but the reality is, how do I do it? I mean, it's hard to live like heaven in a hell-driven world. Amen. And so, how do we fulfill that? Last week, we looked at that on the concept of, of the issue of the soul and what God is doing. We know that the... Uh, as we look at the, the concept of who we are, at the core of our being is our soul. It's the place where we zero in at. And today it is the bullseye. It's the mark as the, as the archer, as the marksman, as they try to zero their bow and arrows or their guns or rifles in on the bullseye. It's the thing everybody's trying to hit. But it's also the thing that every human is trying to hit. Everybody is trying to get to the perfect spot. Uh, kind of coined today is the sweet spot. The sweet spot is a place where we realize we're in the place of what we were created to be, who we were created to be. If you have your Bible today, let's look at the book of Matthew chapter 20. I'm sorry, chapter 19 and verse 16. Matthew 19 and 16. I want to look at what is the practical step that we must walk through. What does it look like for us to get to the place where we are walking in victory and living a life of no longer I? Last week we looked at Galatians 2 and 20. It is no longer I who live... But Christ who lives in me. Now, how many of you admit that's a good place to be? No longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives. Now, the problem is, the verse says, I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live. The problem is the yet I live. Because as long as there's life, there's will. As long as there's life, there's your desires. There's your struggles. There's what you would like to accomplish in your life. So therefore, we have been crucified with Christ, yet we live. Uh, uh, sometimes you may have seen it this way. On a, on a, on, I was watching a, a, a television show not long ago, and uh, there was this guy, he was, he was trying to kill this girl. She knew information about him, and he figured this girl has to die or she will ruin me. And so in the process of this, he finally caught up with her and was about to take her life, and something fell out of her pocket, and it was a Ziploc bag. And inside that Ziploc bag, it was a new Social Security card, a new birth certificate, and all new identification with somebody else's name on it. Now, I'm not telling you that's really what you need to be doing, but it's going to make my preaching point here today. Don't, don't, I'm not promoting this. I'm telling you that what's happening in the world. And right before he, he picked it up and he looked at it, and she said to him, now here's where you say this is going to be good preaching. She said to him, you don't have to kill me. I 
forgot the girl's name. You don't have to kill her because she's already dead because she now lives as Cassie. And so what she was saying is, you can let me live because that person is dead completely. Like, like that person no longer exists. I buried her. She's a new person. I have a new identity. Now the problem for that guy was she still knew what she knew, even though she was Cassie. And so now when we think about that, that's kind of where we are, is that we are, we've killed off the old identity, but yet we still have the carnal knowledge of the world. We still have the carnal identity with the world. Yes, we've been crucified with Christ, yet we live. The yet we live is the hard part. Now, I know we all are willing to go to the cross and accept the finished work of Calvary, but the problem is that we have failed in our Western culture is how do we live on the backside of the cross? How do I live a life of victory? I texted somebody this week and said, I hope you're walking in victory. His reply was, I'm not being very victorious. And so I text back to him, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, and said, you have a right to walk in victory because it's been granted to you by the right of Calvary. But thanks be to God who gives us our victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a right. The right of Calvary is the right of victory. So as we look at this this morning, let's, I want to read this. I want to read this whole thing, and then I want us to come back. In Matthew 19 and verse 16, Now, behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, okay, which ones? Boy, he's ready to check the box, isn't he? Which one should I keep? He asked him, well, don't murder. That's a pretty good one. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> now, boy, if you could ever do that, we wouldn't need a whole lot of police. And the young man said, wow, I can check all those boxes. I've kept those ever since I was a young man. And Jesus said to him, but you still lack one thing. One thing thou lackest. He says, if you want to be made perfect, Jesus said to him, go and sell all your belongings, everything that you have. To the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me now let's go a little bit further because the bible says but when the young man heard this he went away very sorrowful because he had great possessions but then jesus turned and said to his disciples assuredly i say to you that it is easier it is harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven it's harder and again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were astonished and said to him, then who in the world could ever be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Circle that verse in your Bible. That's a life verse. Then Peter responded, whoa, whoo, wow. The disciple next door says, man, I'm in good shape. Look, I've left everything to follow you. 
so what will there be for us? And Jesus said to him, I assure you in the messianic age, in the time to come, the millennial reign for all of eternity, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, stop right there and underline this statement. Because, I'm not going to get off on a tangent here, but I want you to know that all of eternity is not going to be about you sitting around singing kumbaya. We're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus. Now, he goes on and he says, And everyone who has left, everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and father or mother or children or fields or businesses because of my namesake will receive 100. Say it with me, 100. 100 times more and will inherit eternal life. Sister Margarita is here with us today. It doesn't matter if we inherit 100 times of the American dollar, 100 times of the Peruvian dollar. It's still 100 times what you've given up. And so as we look at this, and here's what he says to finish it up. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Okay. There's five things I want you to write down today that we learn from this passage of Scripture. There's five things that we must learn. How do we have victory over them? The question came up about eternal life. You see, because there is eternal life. There's either eternal life with heaven, with Jesus, or there's eternal life in hell separated from him. Both of those require <clears throat> a new body. The body says, the body, the Bible says, the Bible says in the body will be restored into a glorious body. We will have a new body in heaven that will live for all of eternity. So I mean, all those today, think about that. It's kind of funny. I mean, all that money people spend in trying to shape up the old body and uh, surgeries and all those things, I mean, it, it's not going to last. And so when we think about this, we'll get a new body. Now, if a person that dies without Christ, they spend eternity in hell, they're going to get a new body also. Because the body that we have now can be consumed by fire. But we know that in hell, they will burn for all of eternity, and never perish. So therefore, strangely, there's going to have to be something that happens that is not destroyed by fire that will live on forever. Now, so the issue is about eternity. That's what the young man says. How must I inherit eternity? People are looking all around trying to figure out this issue of eternity. Eternity drives people crazy. Jesus died that you could have eternity with him. Other religions demand that you die or someone die or you kill or be killed to assure you eternity. But Jesus took our place that we might live for eternity. Even the atheist, <clears throat> eternity drives him crazy. The most interesting thing about atheists today is this. That if I didn't believe something really exists, I wouldn't spend all my time, treasures, and talents trying to prove something didn't exist that I believe didn't exist. So why do they invest all of their time, talent, and treasures to prove something doesn't exist? That they believe something doesn't exist? Why would you do that? 
Because eternity drives them crazy. Because at night when they lay down their head and they pillow it at night, here's the question. Well, what if I'm wrong? And they're right. Eternity drives people crazy. It was driving this rich young ruler crazy. So he came and he said, what must I do to have eternity? What must I do? Tell me, I will do it. Isn't that just like humanity? I mean, I'm like that. Tell me what to do. Give me a checklist. Let me check the boxes that I can work down the list. Okay, check. You know, I mean, we check, check, check. We're going down the list. This rich young ruler came and said, give me the checklist. Now, the thing we must understand is last week we talked about the soul. Because the first step in living a life of no longer I is the surrendering of the soul. Now, now grasp this. I want to come back to it. I made this statement last week. I may make it every week because I think it may take a lot of weeks to get it. We live with the notion that we are a body that was given a soul. I'll let that linger for a moment. We live with the notion that we were a body that was given a soul, but you were a soul that was given a body. That's why Jesus said, for eternity you will receive a new body. But the soul of man is consistent, and it's the same factor that will translate for all of eternity. So when we think about the soul, that goes back to our relationship with God. But when we think about the mind and the body, the mind is a relationship to ourself, and, and the, the body is a relationship to the world. Why do we spend so much money trying to dress up the old body? Because our mind, the body is what people see. So the mind that controls us, that, let, me, let me write these things down. With the soul, you can love Jesus. With the mind, you love yourself. With the body, you try to love others. Because that's you want people to accept your body. I mean, that's why we make sure we have nice clothes and our hair's fixed and, and, and our just the whole thing that we go through. That's why we buy new vehicles and new houses and all those things to make sure that the body, which is what we do, where we are, is accepted by the world. Now, now let me give you this right here, very interesting. So with the, with the soul, we respond to Jesus. With the mind, we respond to what we think of ourselves, And the body is how we see ourselves connecting to the world. You're picking up what I'm putting down? Are you with me? All right, here's the factor that we want to grasp. So when we think about this, if our soul is in relationship to him, we got to understand the desire of humanity. The desire of humanity is intimacy. Now, when, you, when we say the world intimacy, we already start thinking about lingerie and things sexual in nature. Intimacy. But intimacy is more than sexual. Matter of fact, we can have an intimate relationship with God which is the deepest loving relationship that we can. I mean, think about the Greek word for love, which is uh, a phileo, which is a brotherly love. I got that. I mean, and then there's the, the, uh, the agape, the way that we love God. And then there's the, the, the sexual word for love in Greek, which is the word that deals with the sexual dynamic. See, we lump it all in together, but intimacy is more than sex. Intimacy is deep commitment, 
deep connection, walking with one, walking with a a friend, walking with a, a spouse, but walking with God that we understand each other from inside out and not outside in. But we understand the depths of one's heart and life. Man desires intimacy. Desires intimacy. They desire to walk with God. You are created with a desire to have intimacy. That's why if you can't have intimacy with, a, a, with a, someone physically, you, it's crazy how intimate people are with possessions. They're nuts. Look at the stories on television, news today. Things that people are falling in love with, animals. Going crazy and having, trying to have intimate relationships with animals. Deep connected relationship with animals. Deep committed relationship with things. I mean, I know people have intimacy with things. I mean, they'll get a new, a new camp, a new boat, a new condo, a new vehicle, and boy, that intimacy will only go so long. And then they have to get another one. And so before long, their whole life is, we, we, in America, United States, we have a thing called mini storage buildings. And the reason that business is so popular is because it holds the things that man tried to be intimate with. Oh, come on, preacher. It tried to have a deep connection with that didn't bring about the fulfillment they were looking for. But then they have too much invested into it to get rid of it. So then we had to invest more in a warehouse to hold the things that didn't bring us fulfillment. Oh, come on. Are you hearing me today, church? I mean, listen, I'm knocking right here. Would you let me in? Going to the next level. So we develop these warehouses to collect and hold things that we tried to have intimacy with. See, humanity has a desire. The desire of humanity is intimacy, it's security. I mean, listen, one of the fastest growing businesses in America today is a security business. Some of the wealthiest people I know are in the security business today. That's why guns are flying off the shelf. Cameras are flying off. Oh, you picking up and I'll put down. Listen, people are looking for peace. They're looking for pleasure. They're looking for completion. The greatest desire of humanity is completion. And we cannot be complete apart from Jesus Christ. Religion cannot complete you. That's why Claudie's testimonial, no longer I video was. I was saved when I was 10 years old. I thought I knew Christ. But it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I came back and I knew him not intellectually but intimacy, intimately. That was my story. At six years old, man, I went through the baptistries and it was equivalent to me going through the swimming pool in the backyard of my best friend's house. It did not do anything to solidify the walk and call of salvation and sonship of Jesus Christ in my heart, in my life, because all I had done was accept religion and there had been no surrendering of the will. There was no longer I, but I wanted to have a quad head and you know what that is there would be God the Father, God the Son God the Holy Spirit and God Brad I wanted to be on equal ground with God now before you think that's I'm crazy if you're picking up for what I'm saying there's many others that were in that same boat I want to have the same influence as God in my life I want to sit where God sits the desire of humanity the desire 
of humanity brings us to the delusion of humanity. This young boy came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said he had a desire. What was the desire for? He desired intimacy. He desired security of eternity. That's why he asked the question. He was laying awake at night thinking, what if? What if? What if? What if? So he came and he asked the question. And Jesus said, here's what you do. Keep the commandments. Well, boy, whoo, man, I sure am glad my mom and dad started me off early. I got all that since I was a boy. And so when we go through this as all that as a boy, we come to the delusion. What was the delusion that he had? He wanted to seek a formula. Please tell me I'm not deceived. He was deceived. The, the deception of humanity is that we can reduce God to a formula. And I'm going to tell you, some of the most evangelical people are just as bad as this rich young ruler. Give me a plan for salvation. Well, there is no plan. We've reduced it evangelically to the Roman road, which is walking through the book of Romans and seeing these scriptures. There is no plan. There is no boxes. There is no formula. You think, I don't, you think I'm, I'm wrong on this? I've heard people say, well, if you never walked down an aisle, and took a preacher by a hand and said a prayer in a church service, then are you really saved? Well, the only way we know if you're really saved is, did you surrender your will to Christ? Did you surrender your all to Christ? It doesn't matter whether you walked down an aisle and took a preacher by the hand and surrendered your will to the Christ, Christ, whether you were on the lake fishing, whether you were in the back of a field working, whether you were at the mill, whether you were in your bedroom, or what, no matter where you were, if you were in your jail cell, it's when you come to the end of yourself and say, Lord, I don't have the formula. Lord, it's not my will. Lord, it's not my way. But God, it's yours. Lord, I have been crucified with you. Now, could you help me on this living part? Yet I live is the struggle. See, Gandhi didn't have a problem with the finished work of Calvary. He didn't have a problem with the I've been crucified with Christ part. He grasped that. He was okay with it. The problem that he had was the yet I live. He said because if the God that you serve, this is my words of summarization of his declaration, if the God that you serve is so weak to influence you in the way that you live, I don't really know that I want to serve him because you're all a bunch of hypocrites. Did you know Gandhi spent some quite a bit of time living with Christian believers in their home? When he was here, he lived with them, he did life with them. And when he did life with them, he realized that their life didn't match their gospel. Let me illustrate it to you this way. One day, the little boy... Some, he was a, uh, about 12 years old, he was being baptized. And his six-year-old brother was sitting by his dad while the boy was being baptized. And the preacher began to make his religious declaration. And I, I'm so glad that, that Johnny's going to live in a Christian home. I'm so glad that, and he began to list his whole picture of what a Christian home looks like. The little boy next to him, the little boy started getting nervous, the brother. He started squirming and stuff, and he's like, and before long he started crying. And the daddy said, boy, what's wrong with you? He said, oh, daddy, I don't want Johnny to go live somewhere else. 
Even the youngest child knew that what that preacher was saying about the home he lived in didn't match up what the preacher was saying about the home he lived in. The delusion. We think if I check the box, man, if I'll find me a church somewhere and join it, check. I mean, that's the way we think. That's the way we function. We get the pen out. Man, if I can, if I can find me a, 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 a certificate that says I was baptized, I could check the box. Well, let's go a little bit further. Well, if I can, if I can take Lord's Supper, check. Well, let's go a little bit further. Man, if I can give my money, check. If we, if we go through the boxes and we check them, it's delusion. We desire a formula. We desire a task, and we really just are desiring fool's goal or a fool's religion. You see, there's a delusion of humanity. There's a desire of humanity. There's a direction for humanity, though. The boy said, I've kept all these from my youth. Jesus is like, boy, now you know you hadn't kept all of these from your youth because they're all impossible to keep. Because had man been able to keep the commandment, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come and die. But whether Jesus came and lived a life of humanity that he might do what humans could not do and it was fulfill the commandment of God and the finished work of Calvary fulfills what Jesus said. I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament law. I came to fulfill it. Now, the direction for humanity was we have to identify the eye. How do we live a life of conquering the eye? We must, first of all, identify the all well third of all we got identify the first step is what is the eye that i'm trying to crucify you say how do i find who the real eye is you identify the eye then you remove the eye and then you follow him you see the eye is the problem and many times we don't even know what the eye that we follow really is because you can't see it it just controls you Think about the natural eye. Let something get in your eye. Can you keep going? Oh, you can try to. What do you do? Well, you start rubbing it. You're like, man, something's in my eye. I, and then you go to the mirror and you, and you look and you look in there and it's nothing but an eyeball. And then, you, and then you go to a friend or a co-worker, you say, man, something's in my eye. And they'll look around and sometimes they'll say, oh, I see a little speck right there. Let me get it out. But if you ever had something in your eye and you got to the point and they looked in your eye and they're like, man, I don't see anything in your eye. But yet you feel like there's this glass in your eye. And now both eyes are watering and you cannot function any longer because something that you can't identify in your eye is controlling your physical body. It's con you don't feel, I mean, all you want to do is just get it out. Get it out. I remember the first time when I was a boy that I, my eyes were burned from watching welding. You could open my eyes and I looked in there. I, I mean, you couldn't see anything with the eye. But I remember they hurt so bad. I just remember one time I just took my fist in the palm of my hand and I, I shoved them into my eye and all of a sudden stuff began to run down my cheeks, which was the pus running out of the invisible pockets that had formed upon my eyeballs that I couldn't see with my eye. You talk about make you cry out to Jesus. 
And that's how our physical life is, our spiritual life. Sometimes we can't see it because we're blinded by it. We're examining our life. But there's this thing that is shutting us down, that has forced us to be invisible. The desire of humanity clothes itself that we can't see it. But I'm telling you today that what God is wanting to do in your life is get us to a place that we can see the eye and live a life no longer of it. He showed it to the rich young ruler. He said, well, here's how you can go to heaven. Sell all you have and go give it to the poor. Come follow me. Now, you and I all know that giving away your possessions is not a box to be checked for salvation. Nowhere else in the scripture does Jesus say this. But what he does say is, come and die. Come and take up your cross and follow me. Come and obey me. Come and walk with me. Come and have intimacy with me. And he couldn't have intimacy with this rich young ruler because between the rich young ruler and Jesus stood a pile of treasures that was greater than his love for Jesus. See, what Jesus is saying is love less. A lot of uh, theologians have a problem, a lot of people have a problem with that verse that says you must hate your mother and your father and your brother and sister to follow me. Actually, what the word hate in the Greek means right there is to love less. You must love less your mother, father, sister, brothers, wives, children than me. Come follow me. Love less. Love less. What do we love more than? What is greater than Jesus in our life? That's how you identify the eye. And then you know how to live with the eye problem. You know what to crucify. You know what to pray. You know how to control it. See, the direction is... I'm looking for the direction in my life. Then there's the devastation. It's when we realize our relationship to ourself or yourself is greater than our desire for him. Our relationship to the world is greater than our desire for him. But most of all, there's the delight for humanity. The delight for humanity is this. And Peter, I love him. He asked, he's, he had, he's the only one who had enough guts to ask the question. Well, what then do I get? Because I've left everything. Jesus said, well, that's a good question. Number one, all things are possible. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, it is possible for this rich man to inherit eternal life. It's just hard. See, it wasn't impossible for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Today, we think there's no way a camel can go through the eye of a needle because we're thinking about the eye of a needle. But the eye of a needle was actually a gate in the city that the camel could go through. But the camel literally had to get down on his knees and scurry like a, like a little rat through the eye of a needle. It wasn't impossible. It was hard. It was humbling. It was getting down as low as you could go. And Jesus said, we have to be willing to get down as low as we can go to follow him. See, all things are possible. And then whatever you give up, I'll multiply it back a hundredfold. Now, I'm going to tell you today in closing, there's not one of you in here who if somebody said, I guarantee you a hundredfold investment, that you wouldn't want to be part of it. A hundred times return. A hundred times. A hundred times. Not ten times, a hundred times. Now the problem is you've got to wait until you get to heaven to get it. That's what he says right here. He says, you're laying it up in heaven. You're laying it up, we'll inherit eternal life, a hundredfold. That's why he says, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. 
that there will be there waiting on you. Today, don't be deceived. Don't be mocked. 